Uh, we're continuing our series, There Will Be Giants, this week. Uh, week three. Uh, last week we talked about David and Goliath, um, and really the giant was, uh, was defending God's honor. Um, this week, uh, the giant is jealousy. And I'm, uh, I'm a sucker for a romantic comedy. It's my guilty pleasure in life. Um, as somebody who has amazing taste in all things art, music, it's part of my life. It's who I am. And one of my all-time favorite uh, rom-coms, it was introduced to me to my, uh, by my wife, Erin. Uh, it stars Catherine Hagel, which is like already a major strike against it, so I would never have seen it without her. Uh, and James Marsden's in it. He's okay. But uh, it's called 27 Dresses. And it's the story of, a, uh, of this, this woman who, uh, she, she's always the maid of honor, never the bride, right? And so she's collected 27 maid of honor dresses that she's, you know, part of her, like, being the best pal to whoever's getting married. And, uh, and, and, and it comes to a point where she's like, she's kind of like, what, what, how come I never get to be the bride? And she's holding a torch for her boss. Her boss is uh, this really cool guy. He's like, you know, super athletic and never notice her. Instead, he notices her younger sister. And so uh, they fall in love immediately. And there's a scene where Catherine Heigl just breaks down because she's so insanely jealous of her sister that, that this one thing, you know, she, she's been the, the maid of honor for 27 weddings. She supported so When is it going to be my turn? And then the one thing that she wants gets stolen by her younger sister. What's uh, sad about the, the movie, and of course it all turns around, it all works out. You know, there's the, the cynical, hateful journalist who, uh, who, who is writing a story about how sad she is and then of course falls in love with her. Um, I, I, I identify strongly with that guy because uh, he's just, he has, he's super, like, doesn't believe in anything anymore. He's, he's broken. His dark, heart is dark. And then he sees this, this woman who is given her whole life to serving others. And that's kind of how I feel about Aaron. So um, that's why I like that movie. And so he helps uh, redeem that. But uh, jealousy is very dangerous. And in fact, it's right on the edge in the movie of breaking her up from her best friend, who's her sister, and her other best friend, who's her boss. Our, our tightest relationships can be just jealousy is, but also how it comes about. And it's going to help, I think, us to recognize something about Jesus that we can take with us, that can shake us up, and can help us get out of a trap of resentment and bitterness. So let's take a look at the text together. Uh, just for the record, uh, last week David fought Goliath. He literally trapped his head off. Uh, we didn't read that part because it was gross, but it happened. Um, and so he, he's now the champion. He's 16 years old-ish. After David came back from killing Goliath, and as all the church, uh, troops returned home, women from all of Israel's towns came out to meet King Saul. Remember, King Saul was the, the boss, and David like, walked in, and he saw Goliath, and he was like, I'll take this guy. Um, and so the, the, the women all come out. They're, they're meeting sing, uh, King Saul. They're singing. They're dancing. Tambourines, rejoicing, musical instruments. Uh, the women sang in celebration. Saul, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul loves hearing that. Saul burned with anger. The song annoyed him. They've credited David with tens of thousands, but only credit me with thousands. What's next for him? Close eye on David from that point on. The next day, an evil spirit from God came over Saul. 
or into Saul. It can go either way. And he acted like he was in a prophetic frenzy in his house. We'll talk about that. So David played uh, the guitar, the lyre, the harp, as he usually did to try and calm Saul, Saul down. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he threw it thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David escaped from him two different times. It's really, it's very interesting. Notice at the beginning of the text, notice that it's, uh, it, it clearly in Saul's mind something's wrong, but notice this. The women from all of Israel's towns, they came out to meet King Saul. They didn't come out to meet David. Or at least that's not what the text says. They came out to meet King Saul. And presumably, uh, if you're in Israel, right, and, and the king is the king, um, you know, if you think the king's doing a good job, then you want to celebrate him. And maybe it's the case that these, these people who are singing, these women who are singing and dancing, maybe they think, they're, they're looking at King Saul, they're like, good, good on you, bro. Way to recruit this David guy, um, who we love. He's gonna, nothing uh, in the text that suggests otherwise. In fact, that's why, um, I've highlighted the but there, because, you know, Saul killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Uh, ancient Hebrew is a little bit ambiguous here, uh, when you use the way or wuh. Um, conjunction, it can mean and, it can mean but, it can mean even, it can mean also. Uh, so it's hard to know exactly. What I'm saying is, if, if you are the sort of person who thinks that King Saul's awesome, you could very easily hear this as Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. The reason it usually gets translated but, I think, is because we're treated to Saul's interior monologue. And when Saul hears this, he doesn't hear and. He hears but. He hears a threat. And the threat is pretty clear. The kingdom itself. The threat, the threat David poses is if David gets too popular, what, is he going to become you know, the king instead of me? Um, I, uh, it's difficult, I think, sometimes to kind of get to the core of the nature of jealousy. And so I um, have a, a clip here uh, from a really, really powerful, it's, it's a really powerful poem. Um, and I think it, it kind of digs to a level that we may not normally uh, be used to. So I want you to pay attention very, uh, very much to the, the, the words here because I think what we're going to see in here um, can really help us understand what Saul's going through. been a good friend of mine But lately something's changed It ain't hard to define Just he's got himself a girl And I want to make her mine And she's watching him with those eyes oh. And she's loving with that body I just know it And he's holding her in his arms Late, late at night You know, there's Keats, there's uh, Wordsworth, obviously T.S. Eliot, and Rick Springfield, uh, the greatest poets in all of history. Um, what I love about Jesse's Girl is, uh, obviously, it's, it's relatable, especially for teenagers, um, but, but there's, a, there's a bit where he starts to go on where he's like, he's like, well, I mean, I, I, I'm funny, I'm so cool with the lines, like, like why, why isn't she seeing me? I deserve... A woman like that. And stupid Jesse got her. It's, jealousy is actually not, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Jealousy is actually more like a warning flag. 
Uh, because jealousy is, is uh, <clears throat> excuse me, jealousy is telling us there's something underneath. There's something, uh, there's a greater issue going on beyond just I want. So obviously Rick Springfield, he's lonely and he needs a girl like the kind that Jesse has. But he, he, if you hear the lyrics, you realize he thinks because he's obviously very good looking um, and, and, and really funny that he deserves someone like Jesse's girl. When Rick looks in the mirror, Rick thinks, wow, Rick, you're really great. And Jesse is kind of a dork. How did he end up with what you should have? You notice uh, that's the bit where where Saul's like, he's like, what next? Is he going to get the kingdom itself? Well, in 1 Samuel 15, uh, three three chapters before this, uh, the prophet comes to the king and says... Dude, you disobeyed God, and God is now, he's rebuking your, your kingship. You're no longer on God's, you know, the king, I'm, I'm, he's taken away from you. And Saul looks in the mirror, and he's like, what? Taking it away from me? I've done so much. And he really has. If you read the story, he's like, he's killed a whole bunch of people. He's, and, and he makes one mistake where God's like, okay, you go slaughter these people, but don't take any of their stuff. And he, he's like, well, I'm the king. I deserve a little bit of their stuff. And so he takes a little bit of their stuff. And, and Samuel, the prophet, is like, why did you do that? Why can't you just obey? And Saul's like, are you kidding me? Just a couple of cows or whatever to feed the people? Come on. Surely. Surely, and, and, and Sam is like, no, God, God's looking for obedience, and if you can't follow in that little thing, then what are we going to do with bigger stuff? And Saul's like, but I'm so good at this. He loves the perks of being king. And deep down he knows he deserves it. That's the first thing you note. She's uh, jealousy is not a, in itself is not what it really is. It's a red flag. It's a symptom of a deeper kind of pride. Uh, so when you feel jealous, uh, that's really just like your body and your mind and your heart telling you, "Hey, wait, there's something deeper here." It's not about David being told, "Oh, David killed you know ten thousand and Saul." Got, like who cares? Honestly, like good job, David. Thankfully, the Philistines got defeated. That, that the fact that uh, Saul responds that way is a symptom that there's something more going on. It's not really about David. So what is it about? Going back to the text, the next day an evil spirit from God came over Saul and he acted like he was in a prophetic frenzy. It's a, it's, evil's probably not the best translation here. I would say recommend something more like harmful or distressing. Um, harmful because it, it, it raws sort of like the opposite of tov good. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's like there's things that are good for you and there's things that are bad for you, right? Bad, harmful. And that's kind of what's going on. The, the Bible envisions God up in, uh, up in, in heaven with his heavenly uh, bunch of distress. And, and so God sends that spirit down to, to, to Saul and to, to mess with him, to, to, which seems really wrong, right? It seems unjust. seems like not a, not a good thing for, for God to do. Um, but I, I think really what's actually going on is that, 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 that God's recognizing that Saul's on a certain path, and, he, and, and he's like, he's like I, I really need to make sure you understand how bad this is going to go for you if you keep going down. And so he kind of, this spirit kind of amplifies what's already in Saul's heart. It, it amplifies it so much that he goes into a prophetic frenzy. Um, the, the, the Hebrew here can, uh, it's from the verb to prophesy, but um, in the Hitpael, it's, uh, it usually means something like raging 
or um, the pagan prophets, what the pagan prophets would do is they would like, they would have these weird rituals where they would scream and chant and rant, and they would look like a crazy person while they're ostensibly receiving uh, words from the gods. And this is the way that, the, that, that Saul's described. And so what's happening is Saul's like running around the house, like probably yelling to himself and muttering. And he's like, ah, da, 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 probably incoherent. Um, and, so, and so David sees that. He's like, I better play a good song. Better get this going because he's, he's losing his mind. When I was a kid, uh, building forts was a big deal. When I was youngest, when I was young, we started with the, uh, the pillow forts. But at a certain point, we graduated to, like, having our parents help with, like, actual wooden forts. What we didn't know at the time, and I know now when I watch my own kids do this, is that the fun of building a fort is actually the building of it. It's not having the fort completed. Once the fort is done, all you can really do with it is sit in it. And there's not a lot of, like, people who are attacking you. To, like, so you're just like, oh, I'm bored. The same thing with Minecraft, right? My kids, when they're, when they're doing Minecraft, they, uh, they, they love to build these mansions and castles. And then once they're done, all they can really do is be like, hey, look at my cool mansion or castle. I'm like, mm-hmm. A fort in the back. I think she helped. It was uh, Scott's younger brother, Jeff, me and Jeff. And uh, we, were, we got the fort all together. We had a drawbridge, which was pretty cool. And so we, like, dug a moat <laughs> so that when people tried to get into our fort, they wouldn't be able to. I don't know. Uh, but we were sitting there, and we're like, man, this is a great fort. And we drew up the drawbridge, and uh, it didn't have any windows, so it got real dark. And we're like, man, no electrical outlets, and neither of us was, was an engineer. And so we, we decided, hey, let's get, you know, old school on this. Let's, let's get, like, a candle um, to, to light up our fort. And so I went to my mom, and I was like, hey, mom, great fort, but really a problem here we can't see. So can we get a candle going? And she looks at me like, no, this is the dumbest. You're a pyromaniac. You're, you know that this is going to end horribly. I was like, no, no mom, please. Okay, sure, I lit a couple of ants on fire with a magnifying glass, but that doesn't mean I'm a sociopath. Come on. <laughs> a little more than that. We killed a lot of stuff. <laughs> so she's like, you want to see what's going to happen? Okay. Here's a candle. We're like, man, this candle is great. It was lit. Oh, we can see. It's warm. We can warm our hands. Like, gosh, there's, then we noticed there's a lot of um, leaves and sticks on the ground of our fort. And we were like, man, this is really dirty. Um, it's, uh, this is, it's getting in the way of our sitting and warming our hands. So I know, why don't we get rid of some of these leaves by just burning them? Okay, so I would light a leaf on fire, and then Jeff would light a stick on fire. And then he would lift his stick up, and I would drop my leaf, and it would light other leaves on fire. And I'd grab an unlit leaf, and I'd put it up above it, above the stick, and then it would catch on fire. And we, we actually got fire, like, chained up to the point where it was lighting the roof on fire. And um, the, the, all the stuff on the ground was lighting on fire. And we started to choke because of the fumes, and, and I got burned. And so, oh, my gosh, we've got to get out of here. At that very moment, my mom tears down the drawbridge, not as secure as we thought it was, and begins spraying us with a hose. And then she kicks down the fort, and she's like, you see? You see? Maybe I am a sociopath. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Really, I just wanted to, okay, sorry, mom. The point, the point, of course, is that my mom gave us the candle not because she thought we needed light, but because she wanted to teach us a lesson, right? She wanted to show a lesson learned. Similarly, uh, God can do this with uh, 
God can do this with our hearts, and, and in this case sends a spirit of harm to come and amplify what's already in Saul's heart. Saul, Saul should have been flagged by his jealous feelings. He wasn't. And so God's like, well, let's double down on that. And, and so now Saul's ranting. He's going crazy. And, and, and finally, what does he end up doing? He ends up throwing a spear at David. At this point, Saul, like, hey, man, you should notice something's very, 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 very wrong. You're trying to kill the guy who just saved your army. Next thing in your note sheets, um, if you decide to nurture your pain, God might help with a harmful spirit. Um, if you decide, and, if, 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 and it doesn't have to be just jealousy, it can be really any, any sin, but if you, if you decide to go on to burn that candle, see how it goes? All right, here you go. So what does Saul do? He, uh, he's ranting, he's raving, um, and he's... This is, this is why we should not use guns when we're not in our right mind, right? If you're, like, walking around with a weapon and you're thinking about all the things that are wrong in your life, that's a very dangerous thing to do. Well, that's what's happening. Saul's walking around with a spear in his hand. He's ranting. He's raving. He's angry. And then finally he sees David, like, strumming the guitar. He's like, whoosh. He threw it thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. We're told this happens twice. As a lot of you know, my, uh, my dad passed away uh, just a couple months ago. Um, before he fell and went unconscious, uh, we had been reading the book Moby, Moby Dick together. I hadn't read it in, uh, since college, and I wanted to check it out. This is from the... Is that, that's an old black and white actor, so obviously not a person we should care about. But what is his name? Gregory Peck, right. Famous for other things that Gregory Peck did besides this. Um, he's playing Captain Ahab here in Moby Dick, and uh, there's this amazing, if you don't know the story, uh, Captain Ahab is this, uh, this, this sea captain, and early on in, in his career, he's, cha- he's uh, doing whaling or whatever, and a white whale comes out of nowhere and like capsizes his boat or something and ends up chop, uh, like eating his leg off or something like that. And, and after that, Captain Ahab it becomes obsessed, in, like that prophetic rage, that ranting. He, he becomes obsessed with the white whale. He's got to get revenge on the whale for taking his leg. And his crew is like, why are you so stressed about this, this whale that took your leg? I mean, it's just a dumb animal. You know, I mean, it's just random. Like, and, 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 and so there's this great moment, almost in the middle of the book, where Ahab stands up in front of all of his, his guys, and he's like, he's like, he goes, he goes, I will strike through the mask. He says, yes, the white whale is a dumb animal, but that dumb animal was created by whom? God. And God saw fit to allow that whale to take my leg, and I can't strike at God because God is invisible. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to plunge my harpoon in the heart of that whale, and for me, it will be the same thing as plunging. And then I'll see how God feels about taking my leg. Strike through the mask. Moby Dick is just a mask that God hides behind in Ahab's mind, and to kill the whale would be to spit in God's face. Because Ahab has figured it out. He's figured it out, right? He's not mad at a whale, he like the whale is whatever, but he recognizes that the whale represents something that God, God had, for whatever reason, either allowed or caused the whale to take his leg. God could have stopped that, but didn't. 
And Ahab says, what kind of monstrous God is this? Well, I, if that's who God is, and I, I want nothing to do with that God. That God, here's what I should have had. I should have had a successful career of killing whales and burning their oil, and, and, and I should have been able to do and, and God took those things from me. And so it's not really about the whale. It's hard to know um, if, if Saul recognizes this, but the same thing is going on here. Let's just imagine that he's successful, right? And he pins David to the wall. Is that Saul? If God said you're not going to be king anymore, getting rid of David's not going to stop God from being God. It's not going to stop God from doing what God wants. And yet, in rage, in frenzy, in that lashing out, like, just, if I could just get rid of him. The scientists say that your kids start gossiping at the age of five. Before the age of five, apparently children don't recognize the power of telling lies about people. Right around the age of five, they figure out something interesting. If you don't like somebody and you tell other people that know that person bad things about them, you can destroy their life. We live in a civilized uh, culture. We don't, uh, for most of us, not a lot of you have, you know, speared anybody um, or even tried to. In fact, there's probably a lot of guys here who've never even been in a fight. I've I've never been in a fight. I use words, right? Because I'm civilized. I don't fist spears. I don't walk around with spears. Except, oh yeah, we do. That guy got the promotion. And you know what kills me about it? What kills me about that is that I did all the work and he just took credit for it. And so here I am watching him be, you know, did you know that he's got problems in his marriage? Oh yeah, oh yeah. She cheats on him all the time. Oh yeah. And it's because he's abusive. Don't tell anyone though because uh, that's just, just between you and me. Yeah, his kids won't have anything to do with them. And, uh, I mean, and, and, you know, honestly, I, I hate to say it about anyone, of course, but he might kind of deserves it. But don't, don't, don't share that. That's just it's between us. Or the, you know, the teenage girl who doesn't think she's pretty. And secretly, deep down, she wishes, if she was honest with her, she wishes she could be one of them. But that's not what's been given. So she lashes out, and at the beginning, she finds out she's trying to hurt these cheerleaders. She can't do it, because they're the mean girls. They're in charge of the school. And so instead, she's got to find some other way to lash out. Those spears didn't work. She's got to find some other, hey, maybe, maybe, you know, go goth, piss off your parents, Right? What, whatever it is, but, but, but find a way to lash out with this, this, this pain. Find a way to lash out uh, because of this jealousy because you didn't get what you deserved. Next thing on your note sheet is, uh, what's your spear? But it really should be, what's your spear and who's your David? 
Because every single one of us, when we get to a place where we ask or beg or demand something from God, and God says no or wait, it's very easy for us to say, no, God, this is what I'm supposed to have. This is, and, 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 and that person is the one who got it. And boy, I'm going to make, if I could just get rid of them, all my problems rage out and collect a scalp. That guy with the promotion, if you get him fired, so what? Doesn't mean you're getting the job. You beat up on the cheerleaders or your parents, it doesn't change the fact that you're not the way that you think God should made you look. What's your spear? Who's your David? How do you lash out? And who are you lashing out against? Kind of, kind of weird. I mean, like, what, what, what are we supposed to do about this, right? Let's, you know, Paul, Saul, Saul fails, right? He, he just leans into, <clears throat> he actually does kind of back off for a bit. I think when he throws the second spear, he's like, he comes to his senses and he's like, I really probably shouldn't kill this guy. Uh, th- this is not the best. And so what he, he ends up like sending David away. He gives David like a thousand troops and says, go kill some Philistines, have fun. Uh, even marries off one of his daughters to David. He's, try- he's trying, he's lashing out, but he never actually addresses the underlying issue. He never gets to the point of this bitterness. What, what should Saul have done? What could he have done? It may not surprise you, but the answer is do what Jesus did. This is uh, from Philippians 2. It's uh, one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. Uh, Paul says to the Philippians, Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. Paul said something radical right there. He just said that this guy, Jesus, that appeared to him in a vision, but otherwise he'd never met, uh, was equal to God. And we as Trinitarians would say, was the second person of the Trinity, the one through whom all that has been created, or all that has been made was made. The, the one who truly, really was, is on the throne at the top of the universe. The actual real king. The one deserving of adoration, praise, and worship. Unending, endless. The one who has the power and the might and the, and, 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 and the desire to do all that he wants. And does. And completes it. This is God in, not yet, but in uh, coming to be in the flesh. The son of the father. A mediated uh, father and son by the spirit. Is at the top. Is, and what does he do? Of his throne. He empties himself, and he comes down and assumes human flesh. He looks like a slave, a carpenter. And he experiences all of the things that we experience. And not only that, when he finds himself in this form, what does he do? He said, rage at God. God, I'm supposed to be a father. Put me back on the throne. That's where I belong. No. He humbles himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The reason Paul says even death on a cross is because the crucifixion, the point was not just to kill you, it was to humiliate you. It was to shame you in front of all of your friends and family so that they knew that you were the bottom, that you were the dirt, that you were nothing. And here is the Lord of the universe who sits on the throne. Here's, I got a picture here of someone's idea of what the heavenly throne looks like. He's sitting there on the throne. He is all in all worthy of all praise and, and, and says, you know something? To save these people, I'm willing to get off. I'm willing to go down. 
I'm willing to be ejected, tortured. Because that is what the Father wills and that is what humanity needs. Paul goes on, he says this, I love that. Therefore, see, see God's watching, okay? The Father is watching, um, and it's difficult to explain how that all works Trinitarianly. If you're curious about that, come talk to me um, afterwards. But uh, God, God's watching, and so God, says, God sees what the Son has done, and, and sees that the Son has freely elected to get off his throne and, and, and suffer, and then says, okay, because you did that, guess what's going to happen to you? You were highly honored. You get a name above all names. At the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? King, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus gets off the throne, and then God says, in, I, you deserve to be right back on the throne. And in all of this, I am exalted. What does Saul do? He says, Samuel says to him, the throne's not yours anymore. He's like, why don't I just kill the guy who, who saved? All Saul had to do was get off the throne. And for those of us here who have spears that you're aiming at David's, the only thing you have to do is get off your throne. What is it that you're sitting there like, God, I deserve this. I've been faithful. I made this. I worked so hard for you. How come I don't have a girl like that? And what God is asking us to do in our hearts is do exactly the same thing. This thing that you wish that you had and God has said no or wait. This thing that you believe that you deserve and God has said, well, you might, but I'm not giving it to you. And to say, okay, I'm going to get up off this throne. I'm going to walk away from it. And I'm not going to have, and, and God, if you decide in your wisdom and glory and power to someday restore that throne to me, great. But it's up to you. You have said no, you have said wait, and I acknowledge it. okay. Because I know if I don't, I'm going to end up trying to pin someone to the wall. I'm going to lash out and the hatred and the bitterness is going to start wrecking all the people around me. Like, if people would just get off their thrones. How many times do we see in the news some Elite, powerful figure, holding on desperately, unable to admit fault, unable to admit error, unable to do the, the responsible thing and, and walk away because they've got to have it. How many times in your own life have you been around somebody who just won't let go? And as a result, they lash out, they hurt, they kill. And what is it in our own hearts right now? What is the throne that we're grasping onto and saying, I can't let go of this? I think God's promise to you is if you do, if you let go and you get up and you walk away, eventually God's going to honor that. 
And you will be exalted, maybe not as high as Jesus, but you will be exalted. You will, these things will be restored to you. If you take the path of humility, if you take the path of humbling yourself as Jesus did, you will experience the same thing that Jesus experienced, which is exaltation. And it may not be what you looked like, what you thought it was going to look like. It might not be the days when the Lord returns who will look at you and say, I know you wanted that. I know you wanted that so bad. And, I, and, and good, well done, my good and faithful servant, for letting go and letting me decide who gets to sit on what throne. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we come before you as people can so easily get snared in jealousy and resentment and bitterness because if we're honest, God, we have some pretty clear ideas about what we think we deserve. God, tear that out of our hearts today. In the power of your spirit, give us the courage to walk away from the throne, whatever that throne is, Give us the, the, the honesty to recognize the spears we've been throwing at the various Davids in our life. Convict us, help us to recognize that's not the way. But instead, to follow the Savior who did not have his throne and came down to be with us. And in that, God, we trust that in your time, in your choosing, you will put us on the throne that you've chosen for us. We love you, God. We praise your name. We thank you in the name of Jesus, before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Amen.